You may be seated. Good evening. Merry Christmas. It's a, a joy to, to gather with you here this evening as we take time to reflect and remember all that God has done for us in sending His Son to, to be born and to live among us and eventually to die for us to be resurrected. We all started at that first Christmas. If you're new or you're visiting with us tonight, we are glad that you are here. My name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here. We're delighted that you're here with us, celebrating with us this evening. My hope is that maybe you came from a, a busy day. That maybe this has been a busy season for you leading up to Christmas with all the things going on. I hope just tonight as we worship together that we slow down, take time to reflect and remember and rejoice in all that God has done for us in Christ. And so as we enter and continue in this time of worship, would you pray with me as we fix our minds on what God has done for us? Father God, we are so deeply thankful that you loved us enough that you would send your one and only Son to take on flesh, to live among us, to enter into fallen, broken world, and yet never sin, especially to die on our behalf on the cross so that by believing in you, we can have eternal life. Maybe thank you that you sent your Son. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We had no right to expect it. But you loved us enough to send Jesus. And so we celebrate that tonight. We pray that our hearts would overflow with gratitude and awe and wonder at the depth with which you love us. It would overflow in worship to you tonight. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight is the culmination of the Advent season where we remember and reflect on the coming of Jesus. So to light the final Advent candle, the Hogus family is going to come and lead us in that. This Advent season, we have lit candles to remember that Jesus fulfills the stories of Israel, God, and the whole world, and that he is greater than the kingdom of this earth. All the points to the beautiful truth we celebrate tomorrow, that Jesus is born King of heaven and earth. Not even heaven could contain its joy as the Son of God stepped into his own creation, taking on human flesh in order to establish God's kingdom on earth and save us from our sins. Luke 2, 8-15 through 15 says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior will be born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, 
glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. We light the final candle of Advent to celebrate the birth of God's Son, our Savior and King, who alone can give joy and lasting peace in a dark world so desperately in need of his grace. Gracious Father, thank you that you have not left this world in darkness, but have sent your eternal Son as the light of the world to show us your glory and to give us new life and joy. Open our eyes to see Jesus more clearly, to trust him more fully, to serve him more joyfully, and to find all our satisfaction in him. Amen.
Some of you know we are expecting our, our fifth child in a couple months, and of course we're we're excited about this baby. We're excited for the baby to be born. But but as excited as we are for this baby, I've been just thinking about how different preparing for kid number five is from preparing for kid number one. Right? Like it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just different. Because while the birth of, of this baby will change our lives in, in meaningful ways, like going from four kids to five kids is not quite as dramatic as going from zero kids to one kid. The comedian Jim Gaffigan has this joke that he tells. He has five kids as well, and he says, you want to know what it's like having five kids? Just imagine you're drowning, and someone hands you a baby. Right, so like going from four kids to five kids, like sure, life will get a little bit more crazy, a little bit more chaotic, but life is already kind of crazy and kind of chaotic. It's not a dramatic change. Right? But going from zero kids to one kid, 
with a radical change. It changed my identity. I went from not a father to a father. And before our, our first child was born, I really didn't know how I would react to becoming a father. I didn't know what to expect for sure. Like, I had been waiting and anticipating being a father for a long time. I had high hope for what I thought it would be like. But in the back of my mind, there was this niggling doubt that maybe it wouldn't be quite as great as I was hoping. Maybe I would find all the, the sacrifices that parenthood involves too burdensome. Maybe I'd find all the crying and interrupted sleep too much to bear. Maybe I'd reach the end of all my waiting to be a parent only to find that fatherhood didn't live up to the hype. And so often, right, the thing that we most highly anticipate that fail to live up to the hype. Like I was 13 when Star Wars Episode I, The Phantom Menace, came out. And there was so much hype around that movie. It was just so much hype that even if it had been good, which it wasn't, but even if it had been good, there was no way it was living up to the hype. It's so hard to meet expectations when the hype is so high. But every once in a while, there can be this incredible experience where the thing that has all the high expectations somehow lives up to and even exceeds those expectations. That's what happened to me with, with parenthood, as much as I thought I would enjoy being a dad, like the moment our first child was born, like I knew my expectations were too small. And I realized in that moment that parent would be a far greater, far more meaningful, far more important experience than anything I could have imagined. And the same thing happened, but on a far greater scale for the people who are waiting for the Messiah in the time of Jesus. One of the purposes of, of the Advent season is to remind us of the long period of time that God's people spent waiting for God to send the Messiah. We're just saying, come the long-expected Jesus. And when that long-expected Messiah finally came on the scene, the question then that people, God's people faced was, will he live up to the hype? Will he live up to the expectations? Will the waiting have been worth it? And the answer to that question, which we see right from his very birth, is that the Savior, the Messiah, will be even greater than anything God's people could have imagined or expected. He will be far better. He will exceed expectations. Because the common expectation of the Messiah in those days is that he would come he would be a man from the line of David, and he would be a military conqueror. And he would lead the people of Israel back to independence. He would kick Rome out of the land of Israel, and he would reign as king over Israel. He would resume the Davidic dynasty of handing down the throne from king to king over time. Right, so this expectation was that the Messiah would, would be a king like David, but just maybe a little bit greater which is already a pretty big expectation. David has held up as this image of a great king that would be greater than that. It's already huge. What we see in Matthew chapter 1, which is Matthew's telling of the birth of Jesus, is that the Messiah can even exceed all those expectations of the Jewish people. 
that the Jewish people expected the Messiah to be a mere man who would save them from temporary earthly troubles. What we see in Matthew 1 is that the Messiah is much more than that. The Messiah is God himself taking on flesh to save us primarily from eternal spiritual troubles. This is what Matthew writes in chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of, the Messiah, of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home with his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so the first sign that we see in the passage that Jesus will be even greater than expected was his miraculous conception. Right? Verse 18, we read, His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found pregnant through the Holy Spirit. If we've heard this story a thousand times, it's easy to just like kind of blaze past that, but just remember how strange and miraculous that is. And then in verse 20, an angel shows up and tells Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The birth of this Messiah is miraculous. And God often uses miraculous bursts to signal that he's about to do something really special through a particular individual. If you think through the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah were childless and well past childbearing years when she finally gave birth to Isaac. Rebecca was barren for 20 years before she gave birth to Jacob. Rachel was barren for many years before she gave birth to Joseph. Manoah and his wife were unable to have a child for a long time before they had Samson. Hannah was barren before she gave birth to Samuel. And of course, right before Jesus, Zechariah and Elizabeth were well advanced in years before they gave birth to John the Baptist. And all these miraculous births are clues that God is about to do something important through that child. But none of those births are nearly as miraculous as the birth of Jesus who were conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a woman. In Galatians 4, we talked this morning in the sermon about how, how Jesus was both God's only begotten Son and therefore fully God, but also born of a woman, therefore fully human. And we see the same thing here in Matthew. 
The fact that Jesus is both conceived by the Holy Spirit, but yet still born of Mary, is an indication that he is both fully God and fully man. From the very beginning of his earthly life, we see that Jesus has this connection with God in some special way. He is God's child in a unique way. He is the only begotten Son. He is, in fact, Emmanuel. He is God with us. And Jesus, being both fully God and fully human, is essential for what he came to do. It's only because Jesus was fully God, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he could live a sinless life, that he was not a slave to sin like the rest of us. And it was only because he was fully human that he could die on the cross in our place for our sins as our substitute. Now, this is the first sign that, that Jesus was a better Messiah than anyone expected. The Jews expected the Messiah to be a mere man, just like David. But Matthew tells us that the Messiah is both God and man. He is uniquely God's child which sets him up to be far greater than anyone could have imagined. The Jewish people, they expected their Messiah to be merely human. From the very beginning of Matthew's Gospel, we see that the Messiah is more than that. We see that the Messiah is the eternal Son of God. And the reason this eternal Son of God came to earth was not merely to save us from earthly problems. The Messiah didn't just come to to kick Rome out of Israel. The Messiah came to save us from a far greater problem. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Verse 21 we read, You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In in our culture, names are kind of fickle. Very, very trendy names rise and fall in popularity. Like, and they're kind of a barometer for the culture. Right? Like, from 2001 to 2000, or 2021 to 2022, right, several names surged in popularity. Right? So the name Mirabelle rose 500 places in name ranking from 2021 to 2022. The name Isabella rose 134 places. The name Bruno rose 50 places. And you may recognize those three names, all from the movie Encanto. We may not talk about Bruno, but we will name our kids after him, apparently. (laughs) Other names that rose that year, the name Zendaya, who's this rising actress, right? Up 375 places. The name Dutton, who's from a show called Yellowstone, is up 1,800 places. Meanwhile, the names Will, Jada, and Smith, following the, the Oscar slap, are all down. The name Elon is down 450 places. <laughs> and the biggest dropper, down 3,410 places, Kanye. <laughs> names in our culture are just a, a cultural barometer of what is popular, what is trendy. Like, they're not usually conveyors of meaning. But that's not the case in the Bible. In the Bible, names meant something. That meaning mattered. 
And so God commands Mary and Joseph to name their child Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. It's a different version of Joshua, which has the same meaning. And God saved his people from wandering the desert through Joshua. He brought them into the promised land. It was an act of salvation. So Joshua's name fit. But the angel in Matthew 1 clarifies for Joseph that this time, the salvation that Yahweh is going to bring through this Messiah will be even greater. It won't just be a salvation from earthly troubles. It will be a salvation from sin. Again, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The greatest enemy of God's people, including us, the thing we need saving from is not Rome, it's not Assyria, it's not Babylon, it's not any other enemy. The greatest enemy of all of us is our sin. The greatest threat, the greatest enemy that any of us can face is not anything in this world or in this life. It is our sin which separates us from God. And if Jesus would have been the Messiah that the Romans expected, he would have defeated the Romans. But that victory would have only mattered in this life. Our eternal problems still would not have been dealt with. We would still be in our sins and deserving of eternal punishment for that sin. The only way for that problem, that eternal problem, that great problem, to be defeated was if God himself became a man, took on flesh, lived among us, fulfilled his ancient prophecies, was like us in every way, yet without sin, and went to the cross on our behalf to die in our place so that when we place our faith in him, God looks at us and sees the sinless life that Jesus lived because Jesus took our sins from us and gave us his righteousness in its place. That's what God did for us in Jesus. That's why we're here tonight gathered together to celebrate God's first act in saving us through Christ. And that's far greater than anyone expected of the Messiah. And my hope for us as we continue in this Christmas season go out tonight to our homes, to our families, and we celebrate tomorrow. I hope that we will not stop being amazed at this incredible thing God has done for us in Christ. <coughs> that we wouldn't take it for granted. I hope, I pray that we would continually marvel that, that God would send His Son to be the Savior of the world. And then, having marveled, having internalized that great love that God has for us. It will compel us to go and share that love with others. I ended the sermon this morning with, with Paul's word from Philippians, but I think it's worth hearing them again. Of how, what God has done for us in Christ is to be a model for us as we live among others. Paul writes this, in your Relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, 
who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul said, we are to have the same mindset amongst ourselves. We should be humble and loving the way Jesus was humble and loving towards us and gave of himself for us. As we continue celebrating Christmas this year, would we marvel at how God has loved us? And we show that love and that humility to others. Jesus, during his ministry would say whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life so as we close our service tonight we're going to sing three more songs we want to celebrate that Jesus came to be the light of the world so as we do that we're going to light our candles and sing these final three songs I'm going to pray just a moment and then we'll start singing and as we start thinking, you can turn on your candles and celebrate that Jesus is the light of life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that because of Jesus, we do not walk in darkness. But we have the light of life that he, Jesus came to remove the darkness from us to show us how to walk in the light by his grace. Father, as we sing now with the words that leave our lips be an overflow of genuine heartfelt praise for all that you've done for us in Christ. As we go out from here, we go desiring to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to be humble like Jesus. We love because you first loved us. And we show your love to those around us through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.
thank you that from the moment of his birth, Jesus and Lord and Savior, though he humbled himself and he took on flesh and was born in a manger that's not all there is to the story, but he grew up and he lived until his life, he died in our place, then rose again in glory and then ascended to heaven and will one day return and set all things right. Father, as we celebrate the beginning of Jesus' earthly life, let us not forget the end of the story and all the promises that will find their fulfillment when he comes again. Thank you for the eternal peace and the peace with you that his life, death, and resurrection allows us. Lord, we rejoice in all that you've done for us as we celebrate Christmas tonight and tomorrow. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As you leave tonight, would you go rejoicing in the one who brought peace to earth, who made life and joy to the fullest possible? You are dismissed.